everybody, welcome back to the best podcast on earth. It's lit these days. I'm Jessica. I'm Adam. And we're your hosts. We talk about the books that we have finished reading, what we're currently reading, and we give you book recommendations. However, we're not doing that this week. We have a very special episode that we're going through the top 10 books that we read for this year. Adam has very, very, very far surpassed me this year in books that he's read. I've read 23 uh, books this year. My goal was 30. It didn't didn't hit that. But Adam, you hit your goal, but which is very exciting. Wait a second. It's the 12th of December. Not when you're listening to this, listeners, but it's the 12th right now. So, was it seven books by the 31st? You could do that. Maybe. Maybe I'll fine. just get like like little kid picture books and yeah. put those in there. <laughs> yeah. If you have an ISBN, that counts. So that's fine. Yeah. Next week, all children's literature. <laughs> but how many books did you read this year? 84. That's so exciting. 84. My goal was 80 and I'm at 84. I didn't finish a book this week for the first time in the entire year. So I was a little, I was getting a little stressed out because I had two to go. But then I realized I didn't log some an entire series correctly that I read the first month out of the year because I was getting back mm-hmm. into Goodreads. And it's, I don't know. I, do you like Goodreads? I, yeah, like I don't use it too much. I, <laughs> I recently found out that it's owned by Amazon, which is insane to me because the, the interface is not the prettiest, but I think they probably just bought it from yeah. someone else and didn't want to change how it looked because then people would get mad um but yeah i mean i use it it's that that interface that's that's why i brought that up because like i can easily it's just hard to log things sometimes especially Mm -hmm. if you're not like logging like oh oh, i'm sitting down and reading this book let me make sure i put this in my goodreads i suppose that's what a normal person who has their phone on them all the time would do anyway but i forget and then i just i I lose track of my books with goodreads also if it's owned by amazon i like it's very slow it's a very slow mm-hmm. <laughs> website um so you think they could speed up the server traffic but yeah you think so do. yeah do they really care that much about it mm, who knows probably not although this was the week where amazon web services went out did you have trouble at work with with the internet on what was that tuesday tuesday wednesday no i didn't know about that actually Oh, that was an East Coast thing. There was all kinds of outages with Amazon Web Services, which is what almost every website runs on. Oh. So, like, we didn't have internet at work, (laughs) and everything we're doing is on the internet. I didn't know that. No, but I can tell you something else that happened. We had a really bad snowstorm here in Minneapolis, and some car ran into a transformer and then the power went out, or was it transformer or light pole? Uh, or, Probably transformer on the light pole. Yeah, something like that. And all the power went out in like a block radius. And so I was at work. Oh, I, no. I had just sat down for the day. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> just everything goes down. I'm like, what the oh, heck happened? No. <laughs> I don't know if that person is okay. I hope that they're okay. Hopefully, especially if it was a transformer. I, I was in... <laughs> I was in a house one time when the power power started flickering out and I heard this very loud explosion sound and I walked outside this was in Pittsburgh and I could see like lightning shooting up into the sky 
which was clear. There were no clouds in the sky. I'm like, holy shit, we're getting bombed or something. I don't know what's going on. I, it was a transformer was just exploding down the street. It was just blowing up. That's crazy. <laughs> like, no, I'll, I'll also tell you another transformer story. Who knew that we had so many transformer stories? Okay, so uh, I was living in Whitewater, Wisconsin last year or earlier this year. And I was on my, my walk because I was working from home and that at lunchtime I would just go on a walk. And all of a sudden, I just hear like a boom in all of the wires. What are those things called? The poles with the wires on them. The electric lines. The electric lines just start shaking. And I'm like, what the heck just happened? So I look behind me and a car had just run into a transformer. And the guy like comes stumbling out of the car and I'm like, oh my God. And then this, I lived very close to the University of Whitewater campus. And so all of these kids come running out because that's where all they all lived. And we're all like, oh my God, everyone's calling the police. The police show up. They talk to the guy. I Then I left because I was like, well, there, <laughs> there's nothing more I can do here and I have to get back to work. So yeah, there's that. Was the power out after that? Not in my building. I lived probably a couple blocks away, but uh, all the houses that were right there, they definitely yeah. lost power. Yeah, we lost. We we lived on a street where we lost power all the time, and I can remember it was never fun because you had to go outside because it was always super hot whenever the power went out. Mm-hmm. And then our our neighbors up the street, I don't I don't know what was going on with that, but <laughs> I have journal entries where I would just sit on the porch and write down everything that they were saying. So it'd be hot outside, <laughs> I'd grab some popcorn, go outside and listen to the neighbors argue. And it was always this lady that was yelling at this man. She'd be like, I hope you die of a heart attack, you piece of shit. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then he would, uh, he would only respond occasionally by being like, Bleh! and she'd be like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> And then uh, we'd see them the next day and they'd both be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I go, mm-hmm. how are you doing? <laughs> People are wild. That's just so yeah. crazy to me. Yep. Yep. So okay. enough about power outages and transformer <laughs> explosions. How is the year in reading? Well, I think you, you did it a little bit differently than I did. So I'll explain I what I did. So I went through the 23 books that I read this year and I picked out the top 10 and I'm going to go number 10 is you know, the worst of the 10, but still the best because it made the top 10 list. You know what I mean? And then as we go back up to number one, that's my favorite book of the year. Nice. I did it in completely random order, partly just (laughs) to give some, (laughs) some variety. I feel like I'm a little top heavy on reading the, the, the better books, the second half of the year, which was when we were recording. So I'm going to split it up and talk about something that we haven't discussed. And then I'll talk about something that we have discussed. Gotcha, gotcha, Until we get to the end. And then maybe at the end, I'll decide after reviewing all of them, which one was my favorite book of the year. Ooh, very exciting. I can't wait. Okay, I'll start with my number 10 book. It is Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller, which is a business book. And I like this book because it taught me a lot about uh, marketing and how to write content to get people to convert and, you know... uh, interact with your brand. And it also talks a lot about the structure of a story. So it talks about how in a story, you know, in the hero's journey, there's like the dude and then he meets a guide and then they go through the whole thing and then, then, you know, it goes around like that. So I honestly think that it could be good for writers as well because it goes through that whole shebang. So 
that's that's that one. Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Nice. I feel like I, I want to read some marketing and branding books, if at the very least to be like, I see what you're doing <laughs> when trying to sell me something. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know if I talked about this on the podcast before. This is something that my boss is telling me about. He took a course called The Language of Sales, and it was taught by this guy who worked in the FBI, and his job was to be a profiler. So he would, I think he would just talk to criminals about stuff and things. I don't know. Nice. Anyway, so he developed this course about how to persuade people. And he, my boss was telling me, because I had written something that said, like, don't forget to do this. And my boss was like, you can't write it like that because the subliminal command is to forget. You're telling them don't forget. So they're going to forget. What you should do is say, remember to do X because then the command is to remember and people will be more likely to remember and actually do the thing that you want them to do. Interesting. Interesting. So just give me a little, little cue, a little, little earworm. It's crazy how wording works and stuff like that. It's true. Very true. All right. So, so that was the worst, worst of the best books that you've read all year. Yes. All right. So uh akira i'm going with an entire series because i read them all at one time is that the one the... about the ghost person no but we just we briefly talked about akira during that time frame when we were uh, i was talking about uh jinji jinji oto jinji uto so no um, that was an Ito. attempt to find some manga that i could really get into because i really got into akira beginning of the year which is a manga series and i just haven't found anything modern that's really piqued my interest like akira did so akira is a six volume set and every volume is like five to six hundred pages long and once i got through the sixth volume it was one of those series where i really had to resist just starting back at the beginning and then going through the entire thing again it was that good and it there's there's an anime film version of it, which was one of the big animes that came to came to the West and started to popularize the genre in the 1980s. Beautiful film that doesn't make any damn sense because <laughs> it's based on the series, but it's very little within the series itself. So the creator has kind of said before, like the movie's really a trailer for the book. Like if you want to know what's going on, read read the book series, and the book series does clarify everything. So, in short, the science fiction tale set in 2019 in Tokyo after the city was destroyed by World War III follows the lives of two teenage friends, Tetsuo and Kaneda, who have a consuming fear of a monstrous power known as Akira. Basically, they discover the source of what destroyed the city, um, and it's, it's a child with like telekinetic powers who's been locked away underneath the city and and when he is released um problems in sue and the government has been basically experimenting on um, people who are telekinetic to um you know science fictiony devious <laughs> devious things uh wep weaponize them uh to a certain extent so it's it's fascinating the uh, very big influence on science fiction like the cyberpunk genre um, you can see a lot of like Blade Runner type aesthetics running running through this series. A lot of straight lines. So like the black and white art is very beautiful with with what the author is trying to do here. Um, so very long, six volumes, but wonderful. I read them all at, all in one shot almost. So it's set in 2019. When was it written? 1980s, early 80s. Okay. 
it's it's funny to me when authors do that and then they <laughs> write it for something that's very very close in the future. Yeah. You got to pick something like way far away, but I guess it, I guess it makes sense. World, yeah. World War Three could break out at any time. Well, we almost had World War Three. World War Three at the beginning of 2020, didn't we? When yeah, Donald yeah. Trump was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go kill this guy." No, oh, we don't have to get into politics. Oh Paul. yeah. <laughs> There's so many things that have happened that I was like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot that that, <laughs> that highlight happened. I forgot if it happened at the beginning of 2020 or 2021. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure that was before the whole pandemic thing started. Everything just seems very my, – my years are just too condensed now. They just seem like they all happen at the same time. Yeah, it's very much – it's still 2019. Yeah. <laughs> like we're about to turn over to 2022, but no, it's still 2019. Okay. Kind of feels like the world of Akira. Just feels like everything's been wrecked and it's awful. That, you know, when you said Akira, it made me think about that one graphic novel about the ghosts, and I believe the cover was red. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because I want to read that book, and now I can't remember what it's called. And it's a manga? A manga or a graphic novel? It's red and it's about the ghost. And it, the cover, the cover is like, it has a girl on it. And she has a, a ghost coming out of her. Now I can't remember what it's called, but I wanted to read it. I'll have to go back through the notes. Yeah. You you had talked about it, um, and I'm probably not explaining it very well. But I'll go into the next book that I have. Number nine, God's Behaving Badly by Marie Phillips. And this made the short list because I love Greek mythology. Duh. And all, so in, the, in this book, all of the gods have come down from Mount Olympus and they now live in London in a little flat all together because they've lost their powers or they're, they are losing their powers and they can't figure out how to get their powers back. And I really, I thought it was funny and I really enjoyed that all of the gods had to find like a regular job. So Aphrodite, the goddess of love and, and beauty, she got a job as a, a telephone sex operator. <laughs> it was just <laughs> hilarious to me. Um, and the main premise of the story is that Apollo, who was the god of the sun, falls in love with a mortal and then chaos ensues because she's in love with someone else. And then Apollo's like, no, I love you. Be with me. There is a little bit of a content warning for sexual assault so just keep that in mind it's really like a blip and i don't even know why it had to be part of the the uh, conflict like there could have been anything else that was the con main conflict because it's literally like just there and it's gone so it's not too bad like nothing graphic on the page happens but just keep that in mind since you're since you're ranking based on like best best to worst for lack of a better term would you place this higher if that weren't there i think so that was the only issue i had with it really so next up for me is one that we recently talked about which is the virgin suicides by jeffrey eugenides um, so i brought a, i brought up a different description since we've discussed this at length the shocking thing about the girls was how nearly normal they seemed when their mother let them out for the one and only date of their lives 20 years on, their enigmatic personalities are embalmed in the memories of the boys who worshipped them and who now recall their shared adolescence. The brazier draped over a crucifix belonging to the promiscuous lux, lux 
the sisters' breathtaking appearance on the night of the dance, and the sultry, sleepy street across which they watched a family disintegrate and fragile lives disappear. And with that description, I am thinking of something that we didn't discuss before, which is one of the sisters is not a virgin. Um, the, the key part of her arc is that she is very promiscuous. Oh. Um, which is which is interesting. So I, I I feel like part of that is the part of the book is the perception of others, the the holding human beings as as a type or something to be consumed. So even though they're not, they're very clearly not all virgins. Their view this is viewed as the virgin suicides to the to the onlooking onlooking boys that lusted after them. And I, you said earlier in the description that the mom let them out for one night so they're kind of prisoners in this house for most of the time yes very much so and the house is like becomes more and more of a wreck as time goes on Mm -hmm. ultimately culminating in the death of most of them yeah the 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 first the first sister who dies by suicide is very early on in the book and then, yeah, that that's a big part of the story is, is the the mother finally relents and let the girls go to a dance. And then that's it. They're like locked down after that. Just like never again. Hmm. I really want to read that. I also really want to read Middlesex by that same author. I would say his last name, but I'm going to butcher it. But we know we know I, I who I'm talking about. I am just saying it confidently, um, hoping that <laughs> it's probably <laughs> wrong, but it sounds right. Eugenides. Yeah, I mean, that sounds good to me. Um, just gotta so say yeah, it with I d- confidence. I definitely want to read that book. It sounds very interesting. I I used to be in- really into dark stories like that, and as I get older, I'm like, mm, not not a huge fan. So I I really want to read it and see if I'm still into that kind of thing, or like if I would connect with that at all. It sounds like it's beautifully written as well. It is. It's it's very beautifully written, and I wouldn't. I mean, it's definitely dark. Um, there's just so much going on with it that I I didn't consider it like a ooh this is a kind of an unsettling unnerving book it is it's all of those things but uh, I don't know gosh the writing is just it's just killer it's so mm-hmm. good as I get older I get more and more into uh, romance novels and I'm like mm-hmm. hmm I'm becoming <laughs> a stereotypical woman <laughs> whoa. <laughs> <laughs> When I when I worked at the library when I was in in high school, there <laughs> all of the like the really old women would come in and they would they would stack up all of these large print Harlequin romance books for you to check out, and then bring them back like two days later. And they always talked about <laughs> what you wanted to read. And they're like, oh, I read a lot of Stephen King. I'm like, oh, I just can't. Just the idea of death being so soon to death for me. <laughs> I just want I just want these pleasant romance romance novels. I can remember that happened one time and then that lady left and then the next lady who was like the same age she's probably in her 80s brought up a stack of uh, of Stephen King novels and like Dean Coons <laughs> books and was like ah, I can't stand that crap <laughs> I don't buy it <laughs> oh my gosh I love that um I one time gosh I think uh I was trying to get into like other authors that I hadn't read before and I knew that Stephen King was very popular. I didn't know anything about Stephen King or what he wrote about. So I just go into books without knowing anything about them. That's my vibe. That's what I like to do. And so I picked up Zoo, which was one of his newer novels at the time. How old that makes me, I'm not sure. 
And I'm not even familiar with this book. I didn't know this was a Stephen King book. I think it's Stephen King. Now I have to make sure. Let, let me make sure. It probably is because he's written so many novels, but a lot of them just, he's written a lot of bad novels. But he's got some hits in there. That's what matters. He's got quite a few hits. No, no, it's not Stephen King. It's James Patterson. That is why ah. <laughs> that's why it's incorrect. No, that then that makes sense why I got into that because uh James Patterson wrote a series that I was super interested in, Maximilian Ride. And Oh yeah. The birds? Is that the birds thing? Like the the bird kids, like the kids yeah. who have wings. They sprout wings. Yeah. Yeah. I've read, I read one of those. I, I was obsessed with that series when I was younger, mm-hmm. and I was like, let me read more about, me, read more James Patterson. And so I just picked it up from the library, didn't know anything about it, and then in the first <laughs> couple pages, someone gets mauled and eaten by a tiger, very graphically, <laughs> and I was like, hmm, maybe that, is, maybe that is not for me. And the reason why I brought that up is because I thought it was a Stephen King book at first, and that's yeah. how I got on this tangent. But uh, yeah, graphic, <laughs> graphic, things like that, not for me. Well, I think, if I remember correctly, the book that I read that was part of that quote-unquote series was his adult no- – he wrote an adult novel about kids that let sprout bird wings. Uh, and then he wrote a kid series based on that series. I think I read the first one, which was the adult version, which was a lot more violent than the kids version. I didn't know there was an adult version of that. Mm. Well, now I have to look into that because I'm yes. an adult now and maybe I'll like it. I don't know. I With James Patterson, I, his novels have been very forgettable to me in the past. I've read maybe like eight to ten of them. Um, so I, ca- I can't tell you how adult this version of it is, but... Um, this one does stick out rather than his mystery novels. I stopped reading his mystery novels because after five, I was like, what happened in that last one? They all kind of blended together. Mm-hmm. You and my mom would not get along because she loves James Patterson. I got her a couple of James Patterson books for Christmas. I don't think she listens to this podcast, so it's okay for me to say that. <laughs> but her, she has bookshelves and I would say 90% of those bookshelves are full of James Patterson yeah. uh, books. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed what I read. Now, granted, this was this was over twenty years ago. Um, that can't be right. It was a long time ago. Uh, I enjoyed what I read, but again, it was like after after five and whatever series it was, I was like, they're all blending together. They're not very mm-hmm. distinct. Which I guess you know, it's old reliable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, well, that was a huge tangent. Let me go mm-hmm. on to the number eight book that I had, The Spanish Love Deception by Elena Armas, which I had just finished recently. And you may re- uh, remember what it's about because I talked about it like three weeks in a row, but I'm going to tell you about it again. So <laughs> the main character, her name is Catalina Martin. She lives in New York City. She's from Spain, but she's been in New York City for, um, for about six years. And she works for a tech company. Uh, what does she do? I'm not really sure. So we get a little bit of an insight into her time at work, but doesn't even she doesn't really have a title or anything in the book. So she works for a tech company. She's a boss of people. That's what I know. She also tech things. She does tech <laughs> things. Yes. She also has a nemesis named Aaron, and they've hated each other since he started at the company two years ago because Catalina thinks. 
that it's because she spilled coffee all over his lap on his first day. Like, hot coffee. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense why he would hate you. That is not the reason, but I will not tell you why. Um, because that's a spoiler. But Aaron, Catalina, do not like each other. And when Catalina's sister is getting married back home in Spain, Catalina realizes that she needs to bring a date um, unless that she'll she'll face the pity of her family if she doesn't have a date with her. And Aaron offers to be her date, and then stuff happens, you know, they spend a lot of time together, sparks fly, and then they fall in love. They they profess their love for each other. So it's a really good enemies to lovers book. Solid. Solid, solid. I feel like I've read it at this point. <laughs> yeah, because I, I talk about it so much. <laughs> uh, and that's the one that we just said. It was self-published, right? Yes. I found a book yesterday at the library called Cooking Without Recipes. It was like cookbook with no recipes or something like that. Uh, and I was like, interesting. And then I, I couldn't really figure out what its angle was because it was like, do you fall into one of these criteria? Did you, uh, do you want to lose weight? Do you want to cook well in the kitchen? Do you want quick recipes? It was like a bunch of things that were like only distantly related. And I was like, then this is the book for you. So like, it's the book for everybody. Uh, <laughs> and as I was looking through it, it was very, it was really strange. It was strangely set up. I was, it piqued my interest at first because I was like, oh, it's kind of a like, hey, here's something go go try it without looking at like recipe cards um so, and then i realized that the name of the press was the name of the author so it was like author's name press i was like oh this is self-published the review on the front was by someone who was who is who won the distinguished title of australian of the year like 2019 <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. My point in saying that is I feel like self-published books are just popping up in like more and more popular places because this was like the front of the library, like yeah. new book section. With Amazon KDP, it's super easy to publish and, and get your stuff out there. I've never used it, but I know a lot of people who have and that it's just super easy to get a get a few paperbacks with your yes. with your name on it. Very much so. Very much. If you have if you have a manuscript and it's of sufficient length, it could take you a couple hours. A lot longer than that if you want to make it look really nice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's a great thing. It's kind of cool. You get people's ideas you wouldn't normally see. Mm -hmm. And funny things like the Australian of the Year Award. <laughs> Number three for me is Pure Invention, How Japan's Pop Culture Conquered the World by matt alt this is one we haven't talked about i read this uh, near the beginning of the year in in audio form it's the untold story of how japan came a cultural superpower through the fantastic inventions that captured and transformed the world's imagination from karaoke and the walkman to a anime and emoji this was a fascinating book because it is it's split into types of tech technology uh, as well as well like as well as art forms um, so like the, the, the Walkman portable music is a chapter in and of itself. Um, and you start to realize like, wow, like the, is it starts right post world war two, um, where, you know, they were creating these, these Jeeps, uh, these, these toy Jeep, um, based on the, the American vehicles that were still stationed there post world war two and, and popularizing those. And these toy industries were popping back up after in the ashes of of world war ii because they they had been used um during the war 
like people's livelihoods were taken from them because like they were forced to like, hey, you're going to shut down the production of these cars and you're going to make weapons instead. Um, so that's starting to come out of that. And it's, it's a fascinating story of like triumph after just devastation um, and really taking over the world. Because you think about like portable music, that's everything right now. Mm-hmm. The emoji, T9, texting, like that really emerges from Japan as well the karaoke machine is another chapter so i went in thinking this is this is just going to be video games and anime uh but it's 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 everything and you really get a sense of like wow like everything i do on a daily basis has some kind of roots roots in here which is fascinating i always associate emojis with apple i never would have thought that it was came from japan if i remember now i read this at the beginning of the year um and of course, I didn't <laughs> didn't take notes for this. Uh, but if I remember correctly, um, the the kanji letters, the, Jap- the Japanese alphabet, um, their their most popular writing style, doesn't translate well to text. Um, so there are all these kind of shortcuts that were born out of that, and the emojis were were part of that. Interesting. So maybe popularized by another brand, but sprung sprung out of there, which is fascinating. I also I also tend to forget how distrustful the u.s was of japan's globalization up until like very recently there's this huge controversy in the 1990s where uh, nintendo wanted to buy an american baseball team which really isn't that unusual because like baseball is also japan's like national sport pastime. i didn't know that yeah very very popular in japan um i've always wondered like you know we have the world series but it's 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 the US and Canada. It's not really the world. Like you have you have a lot of like really, really solid Japanese baseball players. It would be cool if you linked those two leagues, but mm-hmm. it just it just doesn't seem to happen. Um, but this was like front page news controversy in the nineties of like Japan's trying to economically take us over. Um, which just seems strange because it's not I mean the nineties were thirty years ago, but like that's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. It seems weird that like that was that was the fear at the time. Well, it's and now kind of it's pivoted to China. Yes, yes, very, very much so. Um, so fascinating, fascinating history text. Um, if you're into history, if you're into just pop culture in general, highly recommend. Highly, highly recommend. It's not all video games and anime, although there is certainly chapters dedicated to them as well. Okay, I will talk about my number seven that I have. Boundary Side by Robert Jackson Bennett. I talked about this one a lot as well. But in this world, you can scribe things to behave like other things. So you could write some symbols on a piece of wood and it make it think that it's stone mm. so that your buildings will be stronger. Or you could put some symbols on a wheel and make it think that it's going downhill. So it continuously rolls even if it's on level ground. And in this world, Sanchia is a thief and she can also talk to these scribed objects. So, uh, like, she puts her hand on a wall and looks for any uh, handhold so she can scale it. So it this helps her be a better thief that she's able to talk to these things. And so she is asked to steal an object, and this object is worth a lot of money. But it's, it's also a very... Um, dangerous 
heist that she'd have to pull off, but her motivation is that she wants to get out of the country that she's in and go somewhere else so that she can get out of poverty because she's living in poverty at this moment. Um, so she steals it and it turns out that it's a very powerful object that's getting a lot of people to come after her and uh so she gets involved in this huge political scheme and she has to fight off some bad guys in the quest to keep them out of power it's very interesting i love the world building in it I especially like that, you know, there's these people that are living in poverty and they're kind of kept out of these, I'd compare them to like merchant families. Um, and there's like four different families that kind of own all of the wealth. And there are people who like live inside of those walls and they're they're kind of loyal to those families. Um and I really love the world building and kind of the political intrigue that comes with that. Yeah. So definitely a really good book. This is this is one that I want to read in, in twenty twenty two. It sounds it sounds fantastic. And is it a is it a full series or is it a one standalone? It deal? is a series. Also there isn't a ton of it in the first book, but it looks like it's going to turn into a female-female romance as well. So that's really interesting. You don't really see that in, um, I mean, I don't, I don't even think I've read any fantasy or sci-fi novels that have female-female romances. I'm sure they exist, but I've never read mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. My number four, uh, A Little Devil in America, Notes and Praise of Black Performance by Hanif Abdurraqib. I think this is one of the first books we we talked about. And mm-hmm. this has the distinction of being the best book I read in 2021 that was published in 2021. So it's published early 2021. Um, high praise. Yeah, very high <laughs> praise. To give you, to give you a... Um, To give you a summary here, at the march on Washington in 1963, Josephine Baker was 57 years old, well beyond her most prolific days, but in her speech, she was in a mood to consider her life, her legacy, and her departure from the country she was now triumphantly returning to. I was a devil in other countries, and I was a little devil in America, too, she told the crowd. Inspired by these few words, Hanif Abdurraqib has written a profound and lasting reflection on how black performance is inextricably woven into the fabric of American culture. Each moment in every performance he examines, whether it's the 27 seconds in Gimme Shelter in which Mary Clayton wails the words rape and murder, a schoolyard fistfight, a dance marathon, or the instant in a game of spades right after the cards are dealt, has layers of resonance in a black and white cultures, the politics of the American empire, and Abdurraqib's own personal history of love, grief, and performance. He's my favorite contemporary author uh, and this is as good a starting point into his essays as any a starting point into his essays he's known prime he's traditionally been known as as primarily as a poet he comes out of like the the button poetry tradition you can see him on there a lot um but i feel like he's becoming more well known for his essays which are extremely lyrical extremely poetic um so it all it all mixes very well together into this jumble of memoir and history and personal essays poetry great stuff anyone who is published by button poetry is a genius that's just what i'm gonna say if anyone listening has not uh explored button poetry and what they have to offer you need to go do that 
after you finish listening to this episode. If I had to critique anything, though, about button poetry, they scream a lot. There's a lot of screaming in the poem. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I guess I've only listened I've only listened to um, Rudy Francisco, who's my favorite poet, and uh, Phil Kay. And oh, I love Phil Kay. Oh, he's amazing. Look, yeah, oh. Phil Kay's great. And then there's one other one. She wrote, uh, oh gosh, now I have to look it up. Is it Sarah Kay? No. Mm-mm-mm. Phil Kay and Sarah Kay did a poem together. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it, which was really funny because they had to get up and be like, we're not related. <laughs> yeah. He has Just an E the at the end of his name, name and she does not. I think an- Anise Mojani's been on there before. He's fantastic as well. I've never he heard wrote, of them He before. wrote a poem called Shake the Dust, which if you, listeners, if you have not seen that, the performance of Shake the Dust by Anise Mojani, you should check that one out. Wonderful poem. Oh, the other one was Blythe Baird, If My Body hmm. Could Speak. I feel like I've talked about that before. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a great poem. Anyway. So there yeah. you go. Hanna keep button poetry. Check it all out. Yes. Oh, what are we at now? Number six? Number, number six. Number six. Okay. I have People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry. We both um, right. We did. I liked it more than you did. Uh, yes. But I like anything by Emily Henry. And in this book, the main characters, their names are Alex and Poppy. They meet in a college and they became best friends, even though they have absolutely nothing in common they couldn't be more different and for most of the year now that they're out of college for most of the year they live apart she lives in new york city and he lives in their small hometown i believe it's in ohio Uh, but every summer they take one week of vacation together until about two years ago when they ruined everything (laughs) and they haven't (laughs) spoken since Uh, and Poppy is now a successful travel writer based in New York City, like I mentioned earlier. But the problem she's having is that she's not truly happy. And when she thinks back to the last time that she was happy, she realizes that it was when she was with Alex. So she convinces him to go on one last trip with her, and he agrees, and she has one week to fix their entire relationship, um, and so it just kind of revolves around, can she do it? And then they, you know, sparks fly and things happen. It, I will say, you did make the point, it is a little bit too long. I will agree with that. I wanted to, like, get to the point quicker, but I still liked it. Like, the payoff was nice. Yeah, and, and that's probably part of it too. Is it's predictable, but that's part of its charm. So, being that you know where it's going to end up, like wrap it up, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get there a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. If there were going to be a if there was going to be a surprise, then yeah, maybe it wouldn't have overstayed its its welcome as much. But still recommended um, from my standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. Number six for me is probably the lowest rated one on Goodreads that I have on this list. It's like a three, three or something like that. It's very low. Uh, Kaiju score by James Patrick. And then the artist is Rem brew. So this is available as a graphic novel. I read it as single issues. Kaiju Japanese word for strange beast. So whenever you say Kaiju, that's typically refers to the giant monster genre that I love so much. 
And this is about a heist. It's four desperate criminals are going all in on one a once-in-a-lifetime chance to steal millions of dollars worth of artwork and turn their miserable lives around. But the way that they are trying to accomplish this is they are basically setting off a giant monster battle in the middle of the city. So everybody evacuates, they go in, they steal all the artwork, and then they leave. That sounds like so, a solid plan to me. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's kaiju scores. What happens when a Quentin Tarantino film takes place smack in the middle of a Godzilla movie? That's a <laughs> bit of a stretch. Um, I like it from the standpoint of like it's a very basic monster movie set piece thing. And it's also a very basic heist movie. But the fact that they're rolled into one is just delightful. And it's very short, so it does not overstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. Nice. So entertaining enough to be included in the top 10, even though this is not this is not a life-changing book by any means. Gotcha, gotcha. My Most of my books are not life-changing either. I just really enjoy them. Like this one, number five, The Dating Plant by Sarah Desai. Wow, there are so many romance books on this on this <laughs> list. I wonder why. Okay, so the main character, Daisy Patel. She is a software engineer, and she has absolutely no interest in love. She goes to work. She works for a lot of startup companies, and then she's there for a couple of years, and then she leaves, and she goes and helps out some other startups figure out their life. Um, and her Indian family expects her to get married uh, because, you know, that's kind of the tradition for their culture. And that's a big stereotype, uh, but that's kind of, you know, what Daisy says in the book is that, you know, her family really wants her to get married and she, they want her to do it soon. Um, so she has a bunch of aunts on her back um, to get on the dating train and the other character comes in, Liam Murphy. He's a venture capitalist, and he um, learns that his inheritance is contingent upon him getting married in the next year. So Liam and Daisy, they know each other um, from many years ago, like 10 years ago, um, but they haven't spoken since Liam stood her up for her senior prom. But they meet again at a conference, um, and they decide to get fake married, but real married, but, you know, fake married. And in this way, Liam will get his inheritance, and then Daisy, after they get divorced, will no longer be wanted by any men that her family deems worthy of her, because in their culture, you know, divorce is a big no-no. Um, and so it's kind of a win-win situation for Liam and Daisy, um, and then they start spending a lot of time with each other. Sparks fly. They fall in love. It's a romance. I really liked it. It was warm and fuzzy. Very, very nice. Next up for me is Parable of the Sower, Earthseed 1 uh, by Octavia Butler. So... Once again, set in the near distant, in the in the in the far future of 2025, in this <laughs> case, the world descending into madness and anarchy. One woman begins a fateful journey toward a better future. Um, I'll only read part of this summary because the part of it um, ruins half of the book, which I thought was interesting. Uh, Lauren Alamina and her fa family live in one of the only safe neighborhoods remaining on the outskirts of Los Angeles. Behind the walls of their defended enclave, Lauren's father, a preacher, and a handful of other citizens try to salvage what remains of a culture that's been destroyed by drugs, disease, war, and chronic water shortages. While her father tries to lead people on the righteous path, Lauren struggles with hyper-empathy, a condition that makes her 
extraordinarily sensitive to the pain of others. Um, extraordinarily to the point where if she witnesses someone get shot, she feels those gunshots within her own body and it puts her out of commission. It's not harming her body, but it's certainly harming her her psyche. Um, fascinating book. Beautiful book. Um, extraordinary, extraordinarily violent book, um, but one in which the, the violence is very crucial to the point of the story. It's interesting to read it in 2021 because while this still seems like the far off future, it also seems like, oh, I see, I very much see elements of the society portrayed in this book in our current society. And at least a lot of the concerns of our current society uh, run throughout the course of this novel. It's a, it's great. It's really, really great. This is the only Octavia Butler that I've read uh, outside of a graphic novel adaptation of Kindred. Superb place to start. One of the best books I've ever read, for sure. I think that we determined when you first talked about it that it is not a Jess book because it is too graphic. So I will not be reading it, but yes, I hope that our <laughs> listeners do. <laughs> Although at, at one point I joked that you should read the graphic novel. Um, oh God! Jokingly, because of course it's going to be extremely violent. Although I have I have thumbed through the graphic novel, and the artwork lends itself in a way where while the violence is there, um, it's not hyper realistic. So I, if you if you were interested in the slightest, um, I can now seriously recommend like the the graphic novel might be the route to check out because it leaves a lot of the violence up to the imagination, which I think is a solid idea it focuses more on the building the mood through the colors um and the inks rather than here here's this hyper depiction of of gore nice nice okay that's solid um what number are we on four i went a little bit out of order but i think i'm back on track seven i think we're on seven. Oh, i'm going up so i'm at number four then yeah so my number four is his name is Quiz by Jeremy Ryan, and Quiz is spelled C-W-I-Z. I read this book at the beginning of the year, and I think it's the first book that I ever talked about on the podcast, actually. Uh, it's a book of short stories that recount the author's wild times with his friend named Quiz. It's so hilarious. I love this book so much. If you need a good laugh, you definitely need to pick this one up. Um, it follows them as young boys. They're getting into so much trouble. Like, there's one story where they kind of have a right, like, their group of boys kind of has a rivalry with this group of girls, and they see this one girl driving around town, and they just start peppering her car with paintballs while they're both <laughs> driving which like it's not funny if it was happening in real time <laughs> right. but like now it's kind of funny and um there's another one that's also not funny but now that you look back on it it's kind of funny where they are trying to play pranks on these girls and they end up making a small bomb out of like a water bottle and some chemicals. And oh, no. they, the idea that they have is to throw the, <clears throat> throw the water bottle in the backyard and get the girls to freak out. And then the boys are going to go in there and kidnap one of them and just kind of drive around with her. And I don't know what, like it wasn't malicious. 
they they right. weren't planning to do anything bad with her. It was just kind of like a prank. Um, and what they didn't realize is the girl, like they're at this one house, and the girl's dad is a cop, and so they threw the bomb into the back of a cop's house, and obviously the police are called, and uh, they the police figure out who it was. They call the boys. They're like, hey, we just need you to clean all of this up. Like, you made a big mess. If you come, you're not going to get in trouble. And, of course, once they get there, they all get arrested. And I believe, gotcha. <laughs> and I believe they get off without any issues. Yeah. But still, um, again, <laughs> not funny in real time, but now it's kind of it's kind of funny. And the way he tells it is funny as well. Uh, and then, so... It kind of starts out with their young shenanigans, and then it really follows them as they grow up, and Quiz becomes a very successful businessman, and he has a really big heart, and he just does a lot of good in the world. So it's funny and heartwarming. Probably one of my favorite books of all time. I really liked it. Oh, that's great. Should I order? I have it up on Amazon right now. It's less than five dollars. Should, should I? Should order I click it. order? Yeah. And donate to uh, Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. Boom! It's coming tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that's how's so that? How's that for for persuasion? That's so fast. Oh, do you have Amazon Prime? I do have Amazon Prime. Oh, I do not have that. And there's a warehouse in West Virginia down mm. the way a little bit. Gotcha. All right, I lost my list. Hang on. Where bum, is it? Bum, Seven. Bum. Book I've talked about recently, A Single Man by Christopher Isherwood. Another, yet another book where I got to the end and resisted just flipping back to the beginning of the book and, and starting over. Uh, because this, again, this is one of those books where I could feel myself going like, ah, this might cause a little bit of a reading drought. And I feel like even though I thought I avoided it, it may have caused a little bit of a reading drought because I have not been reading as much as I've wanted to recently. When A Single Man was originally published, it shocked many by its frank, sympathetic, and moving portrayal of a gay man in midlife. I believe this was his first novel with um, gay characters, major novel in uh, in the in gay, gay liberation movement. George, the protagonist, is adjusting to life on his own after the sudden death of his partner, determined to persist in the routines of his daily life. An Englishman and a professor living in suburban California, he's an outsider in every way, and his internal reflections and interactions with others reveal a man who loves being alive despite everyday injustices and loneliness. Fascinating book. Takes place over the course of 24 hours, um, and he is very much hiding the fact that his very few people know that his, his partner has died. None of his neighbors do. So he's becoming increasingly isolated while trying to break free from that isolation internally beautifully written um i will be reading this again probably in 2022 love that <clears throat> oh my gosh my voice keeps going crazy okay so my next book that i have is one i've talked about a lot and one i've read probably like three or four times helium mm -hmm. by rudy francisco Rudy Francisco is my favorite poet, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, and Helium is my favorite book of his. He has quite a few books out. This one's my favorite. It's also the first one that I read, and also most of the poems that are in this book are also on his YouTube channel, so you can listen to him recite them. Um, I get blown away by how he can take very 
mundane things and just turn them into something beautiful and profound. Like there, my favorite poem is Rifle. And in that poem, I believe, I feel like I've talked about this before, but in that poem, he starts out by saying, there are thousands of guns that are confiscated by the Mexican government every year. And one year, an artist convinced the government to give those guns to him so he could make an art installation out of them. He actually makes the guns into musical instruments. And Rudy Francisco takes that information and then he turns it into a really beautiful poem about toxic masculinity and how young men are taught to be very violent and the only emotion that they are allowed to feel is anger. And I really like that. He actually recited that on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. So he's very, he's pretty famous at this That's point. Awesome. But yeah, I really like that book. That's another one you've sold me on to, to read in 2022. Mm. Next up for me is The Department of Truth, Volume 1 by James Tinian IV and art by Martin Simmons. Ah, this is the best graphic novel that I've read all year. It is the best single issue comic book series that's out right now. Um, the, the next volume has recently started back up after a hiatus. I picked it up yesterday. I'm very excited to read it. Uh, this is one of the only, maybe the only one, maybe the only comic book series where I've purchased every single issue and then I've purchased the graphic novel on top of that. I had a friend who used to do that all the time with everything and then would complain about how he's broke all the time and be like because you're buying single issues of comics and then the graphic novel of the same single issues but with this it's so good it's worth it it's absolutely worth it um because then i can lend them out and show other people um cole turner has studied conspiracy theories his whole life but he isn't prepared for what happens when he discovers that all of them are true from the jfk assassination to flat earth theory and reptilian shapes shifters that's not entirely true. What's going on with the Department of Truth is there is this idea in this in this world that you can col you collectively make reality through belief. So if enough people believe in one conspiracy, then that conspiracy becomes reality. So if enough people believe that a school shooting has been staged with crisis actors, which is one of the arcs or one of the storylines, then that starts to become reality. Then the actual school shooting, as it happens, starts to disappear, and those actors start to become reality, which was a really interesting arc because it's very dark. Uh, clearly, this is heavy subject matter. Um, but that that particular issue follows a mom whose son was was killed in a school shooting, and she begins to investigate, and she she just, through her grief, falls down these internet rabbit holes and starts to believe and then starts to discover through actual clues because it's becoming a reality through the misinformation machine that, hey, like, he might still be alive and he might not be my kid. He might be a crisis actor. The reason why it's called the Department of Truth is because the Department of Truth is this organization that stops those things from happening. So, like, just nips the conspiracy theories in the bud, uh, which a lot of times involves, you know, murdering the people at the top that are spreading these lies and stops those from happening it's it's fascinating it's it, it's so well written the artwork is mind-bending it's it, it, it's it's beautiful it's dark it's disturbing it's very relevant to everything that's going on right now 
I'm I'm also looking that one up yeah. to order it. Yeah, being that it's volume one and Image Comics, it should be relatively inexpensive. So, dear readers, Image Comics, the, their first volumes are always fairly cheap because they want they want readers on board. The cover is very scary. It's um the artwork is nightmarish, uh, and this is a new artist. This is his debut, which which is interesting. But it's nightmarish from the standpoint of um nothing is. It's never very clear what's actually happening, and they also incorporate actual images and photos of of people um for example the 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 school shooting issue they'll include these blurry images of oh what's his name what's the alex jones the sandy hook conspiracy theorist Mm -hmm. i'm excited to read it i'm going to order it but i also need to figure out what book we were talking about before with the red cover of the ghost and i'll figure it out and then i'll order it we will figure out what the other book is and then I will order it because I'm very interested in that it's one. It's a book that I read. And talked about. <clears throat> yes. It's a red cover and a ghost. Oh, it's Homesick Pilots. It's nope. not Homesick Pilots. <laughs> nope. It It's about a girl who is a ghost and she goes and watches other people die or she helps them. Oh, yes. It is Carmen by... Yes. Oh, I forget the guy's name. Guillaume March. Okay, I'm going to add that into my cart right now. I'm glad you brought that up because I need to add that to my books that I read in 2020. I read it as a single issue, so sometimes I forget to add the graphic novel. Yeah, Carmen's so good. Should be cheap too because it's image, although it is a standalone. Okay, so I'm at number two. Uh, This one is Miseducated by Brandon P. Fleming. Okay, so this is an extremely powerful nonfiction book that I've talked about before, obviously. The author, Brandon P. Fleming, grew up in poverty, and his mom was in the military, and she was often gone because she was deployed. And she would leave Brandon's stepdad in charge while she was gone, um, and she'd leave money for them for food and things like that. The stepdad would take the money and go do drugs and hire hookers and all of this stuff and so the kids really had to fend for themselves and they were very young um and things like that and when the stepdad was there he was extremely abusive to the kids so um there's that and then Fleming also faced sexual assault not from the stepdad but from a kind of babysitter type person and uh So the first half of this book is very difficult to get through because it deals with, like, drug abuse and uh, child abuse and sexual assault and things like that. So it's very difficult to get through, but the back half of it is very inspiring. Um, And so what happens in the back half is that... Fleming is really bad at school. He's never really paid attention in school, so he doesn't really have the skill set to go to college. However, he's really good at basketball. So he gets a scholarship to go to college because he's really good at basketball. But then he ends up having a career-ending injury, and he drops out of college because he just can't keep up with the, the coursework, and, you know, they're not going to keep him there any the college isn't going to keep him there anymore because he can't do anything for them anymore because he can't play basketball anymore which is really sad so he ends up dropping out of college he goes to work on 
a conveyor line in a vitamin factory, and then he has a failed suicide attempt. And he wakes up in the hospital, and his mom is like, hey, I will give you my GI bill so you can go back to school. You just have to promise me that you're going to try and you actually do something with it. So he goes back to school and he's really trying. He gets really into philosophy and he just starts reading all of these philosophy books, but he also gets really into uh, like the beat movement and things like that. And he eventually ends up starting an after-school program for kids in his area, and they start talking about philosophy and things like that. And you would think that kids would not be interested in philosophy, but his teaching style is so engaging that they get really interested in it, and they eventually start kind of a debate program. And so Fleming is recognized for how he's able to get kids engaged and, and teach very well. So he gets a job at a very prestigious school and he's teaching all of these kids. Um, and then after that, he ends up starting uh, the Harvard debate program. So it allows um, underprivileged kids from Atlanta to go to Harvard's summer debate program each year. And that's something that they otherwise would not be able to do because um, it does cost money to do that, but they get scholarships to, to be able to do that. And so I thought it was a really inspiring book. I also thought it would be a great book for teachers because he talks about how he's able to get his kids engaged in learning and actually excited about things. Um, so, yeah, I really, I really liked it a lot. This seems like one of those books that will... You you obtained an uh, early review copy, correct? Mm -hmm. It seems like it's one of those books that'll probably catch wind within education uh, within the next year or two as the like, let's all read this book. I was thinking about that too. I was just wondering though, because there are so many trigger warnings and things like that. I wonder if it would not be pushed through for teachers to read just because, you know, administration probably realizes that people have stuff that they're dealing with and maybe right. they can't they don't have like the mental capacity to read something right. like that it would probably be a book that would be highly recommended to read rather than like i mean we never have a required book to read although i will say my school is great about i don't think we no we didn't do it this year but the first couple of years we were open um our our principal would provide every teacher with a with a book that was like kind of the focus of the year and, and usually it wasn't quite an education of book like the power of moments was one that we read um, that's kind of gone away because now we buy every kid a book that we we all read together but i could see this one as being like highly promoted my principal's a reader so if he if he happened to read this over the summer i would i would bet that gets pushed the the following year i'd love to read it yeah yeah all right, number two for me is a highly political book, which we have not talked about. Evil Geniuses, The Unmaking of America by Kurt Anderson. This is a follow-up to a wonderful book called Fantasyland, How America Went Haywire, A 500-Year History. Kurt Anderson, very, very funny guy, very great writer. Uh, he used to be the editor of Spy Magazine, which was kind of like an adult high-class version of mad magazine political satire um that book was fantastic because it was a book where um it came out kind of in the middle of 
a year or two within to the Trump administration. And it's a book you could go to thinking like, okay, like why, why, why has things changed so much? And then you start 500 years ago, you read it and you go, oh, okay, we're basically exactly the same. We were, as we were 500 years ago. Um, so inspiring maybe from that standpoint, this, this follow-up is called evil geniuses, the unmaking of America. And the focus on it is in that the American economy tended to, for the duration of its history, um, raise across socioeconomic barriers. So even in the lowest classes, um, if the economy was raising, if wages were raising across the board, it would do exactly that. It would raise across the board um, so that there was a huge, secure, contented middle class that emerged. He's not overly rosy about this. Like, it's not one of those things where it's like, everybody was doing great. Clearly, people were not doing great for a variety of socioeconomic reasons. But his his thesis is, and, and he proves this very well, the boats, the water raised the boats all at the same time. Still on unequal ground, but raising the boats. But in the 1970s and, and the 1980s, particularly with Reagan and regulations being cut and that being popular across the board, um, Reagan was was very very popular, um, clearly among Republicans, but like also among like the left. There there used to be it it, it didn't seem as divided as as it is now, and and, and part of that was people were pleased with what was going on, uh, but part of cutting those regulations and kind of gutting unions is that started to stop. <laughs> so like the highest classes started to get higher and higher and the lowest classes started to get lower and lower and lower. So he makes this argument from like, you know, people are going to come from the standpoint of like, well, people aren't pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. And like these, these social classes need to do this on their own. And there's, a, there's a lot of offensiveness that goes along with that. Um, but it's also not like, if you just look at this timeline, like it doesn't add up. Like, why would that mentality change? Mm -hmm during this massive era of deregulation. That's really interesting. And uh, I know that my boyfriend is super interested in political stuff. He likes to learn about history and political stuff like that. He sometimes talks about Reaganomics. Isn't that trickle-down economics? Maybe you don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. No, that's, that's, um, what, that's what he's referring to. Yeah. And I was in... Uh, I forget what class I was in in college, but my professor was like, trickle-down economics just does not work. And so I feel like that actually would be a book that Richard would be interested in because he's he's very passionate about Reaganomics and how it does not work. So Yeah, and it's I realize that sounds like a, a big diatribe um, and, a, and a very left-leaning book, which, which it is, but... Kurt, I love reading Kurt Anderson because he does write in a way where nothing about this book was boring. Like, I'm sure there are listeners that are like, that sounds tremendously boring. There's nothing in here that's boring. It's written in a way that's very readable. Um, it's written in a way where you can certainly disagree with some of what he is attempting to prove here. But he also throws his own name in the ring for assigning blame. And this is part of the explanation here is... Um, he offers a fresh, provocative, eye-opening history of America's undoing, naming names, showing receipts, unsparingly assigning blame to the radical right in economics and law, to the high priests of high finance, a complacent and complicit establishment, and liberal, useful idiots, among which he includes himself. Uh, and he does that constantly, where he says, like, I am part of the problem, because this, this is what I have been focused on, this is what I've been 
doing. Um, and, and it talks about that pretty explicitly with the stock market. So highly recommended. Richard would definitely like it. I think he'd like it too. Richard has a ton of books that guys we've been so we've been slacking on reading recently but Richard and I both have enough books to probably last us for a decade if we read a book every single day and so (laughs) (laughs) I I will probably get it for him for Christmas I don't know if he will read it um very soon but I think yeah he'd be interested in it push it from the standpoint of like it's relevant to now yeah yeah that makes sense I actually think I think he would like this book and you would like fantasy land more because okay. Fantasyland is, is less on the economics and more on the, like, why are we insane? <laughs> like, here's why. Here's the entire, here's 500 years of why we're insane. Oh, that does sound interesting. Yeah. And it has the word fantasy in it. We yes. know that I love fantasy. <laughs> so there you go. Um, okay. I'll talk about my number one favorite Woo-hoo. book of the year. This is so exciting. I feel like people already know what it is because I talked about it. With high praise, it is You Feel It Just Below the Ribs by Jeffrey Craner and Janina Mathewson. This book is fantastic. I would liken it to 1984, which is very high praise. So, this book takes place in a dystopian land. There's been a huge war that's wiped out 60% of the world's population, and the main character, Miriam, we follow her through when she's a young girl up until, you know, she's an older woman. And so Miriam grows up in Europe uh, as a child and she loses her family and she kind of has to fend for herself and just figure things out for herself. And she ends up going to... um she ends up finding this safe place where a lot of people who have been like in the past lives, they've been like professors or, you know, just like philosophizers. Would that be a word? Um, and so she ends up there and they have this big flaw. It's, it's basically a metaphor for socialism where it kind of, everyone just kind of like helps out and, um, they just kind of live in harmony. And eventually a group comes in that they, they let in and this group ends up being very violent. It breaks up the, um, it breaks up the farm that they're on and then Miriam has to kind of go and just figure things out for herself again. So, at this point, the world is kind of rebuilding from this war, and she ends up going to the United States, um, and she ends up getting her degree, I believe it was in psychology, and she starts studying the effects of meditation on kids, and she ends up at this kind of like non-profit situation for kids who have lost their parents in this war, and she helps them... Um, through their trauma that they felt through losing their parents, but also, you know, just through the war and kind of experiencing the things that they've experienced. And the government recognizes what she's doing for these kids. And they start asking her to develop kind of a course so that they, she can teach other people how to do this and then they can help more kids. What she doesn't realize is the government is actually using this research in order to 
figure out how to take memories out of these kids' minds and just remove them completely. And they start doing this to these kids where they take the memories of their families and they just completely erase them. So these kids just think that it's just them. They have no friends. They're just by themselves. And the reason why they do this is because this whole war that wiped out 60% of the world's population, they have determined is started because of tribalism and nationalism and things like that. So the idea is they want to take these memories out of the kids' heads so that they have no sense of, of tribalism or nationalism because what they've determined is only violence comes out of those things. And so Miriam is involved with this whole political thing, um, and she's kind of at fault for uh, for this whole dystopian situation for, for happening. And I really enjoyed it. I also enjoyed the how the narrative is laid out. So in the beginning of the book, it's very clearly stated by this publishing house that's publishing this book that they found this manuscript next to a dead body. They're not sure if this dead body body is Miriam or not. They're but they say that they're publishing it and they're putting it in the hands of whoever's reading it on purpose because it's a very powerful book. And they say that uh like throughout the book they're kind of discrediting what Miriam is saying. Like in the footnotes they kind of just tear her apart. And so it ends up being kind of like it reads like a propaganda piece, which I thought was yeah. super interesting. And yeah, definitely my favorite book of the year. It sounds so epic in scope and relevant to mm -hmm. today. And it's not even that long either. You would think that this would be a thousand pages long. I think it's only like 400. It's not I was that long. Say that sounds like a six, six to 700 page page novel. Interesting. That sounds like very solid science, science fiction sub, mm -hmm. sub genre, if you will. My number one is actually my number one best book I've read this year. Ooh. Olive Kitteridge, Elizabeth Strout, winner of the Pulitzer Prize. Oh, my God. Olive Kitteridge is so good. Um, mix of short stories, some very much about Olive, some about her family members, some not about Olive at all, just about people in her town. And Olive is just in the background, maybe like waving at the character that is the focus of the short story. So I like that. I like the setup in that you have a good you have a great variety of what's going on here set in a small town in maine where the world is changing everyone around olive is changing she tries to stay the same she's not a very likable main character um but you end up loving her by the end of the book even though uh, there's something and again i think it comes down to just really great writing you read the first chapter and you're like olive is a terrible person <laughs> like she's just awful the focus of that first chapter is her husband she's terrible to her husband um but you can also see kind of a core as to why she is so hardened um and bookends that with the last chapter which is her son is an adult and she's staying with him temporarily and she's starting to pick up on 
he's starting to tell her things about why he is so frustrated with her. Um, he talks about how he's he reveals that he's like been in therapy, just trying to deal with her and her nonsense, and and he's he becomes very patient and and speaks in phrases that are clearly coming from therapy and she's forced to after the the course of the entire narrative kind of sit down and go like i have no idea that i was having this effect on other people and i also have no way to um i don't know how to deal with this like i don't know <laughs> like i'm coming to this realization but i also don't know how to deal with it because she's been living this life for a long time you start when i, I believe you start the story when she's in her 40s and it ends when she's in her late 70s maybe even early 80s so you get a great chunk of this woman's life um beautifully beautifully written um prose highly highly recommended absolutely can see why this won the pulitzer prize best book i read this year i plan to read the next one this upcoming year because there is a sequel to it is that is it a series or just a there's just the one sequel uh so far there's just one sequel um elizabeth stroud is still still publishing she had a book come out recently but i believe um all of again is i know what it's called oh william yes i did a i i put it in our newsletter yes. one time yeah i i should have picked up a copy there were signed copies at my local indie bookstore maybe i'll go back and try and pick up Ooh. a copy of it but i might also get it for christmas who knows Ooh, oh that's so exciting oh my gosh christmas is almost here i haven't done any shopping basically <laughs> oh my lord yeah Ugh. i have like huge gaps in my shopping i'm done with my my wife's i bought her last big thing yesterday um which i was super excited about you know in target when you have to punch in your phone number at the counter i was like this doesn't go anywhere this mm -hmm. isn't connected to anything and then i had to order her present on target.com and i got in they're like yeah 50 dollars to spend <laughs> i was like oh it does go somewhere <laughs> it's like nice. two years worth of credit. i have to start using that we're Sweet. not sponsored okay. by target well we are not we we wish they wow, don't, that would be amazing they don't need sponsors <laughs> no they don't um but wouldn't it be exciting if we were? Oh my gosh, we'd never have to work again. I'm not sure. Okay. Anyway, that brings us to the end of our very special episode of the ten most beautiful, <laughs> the ten, the ten best books that we read this year. I can't talk today. My brain is in twenty million places. Okay. That's a morning so, recording for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so. Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Um, if you haven't already, please ask us for a book recommendation. We would really like it because every episode we uh, answer one person's question. We give them book recommendations. And you can go to our website, click on the Get Recommendation button, and then just fill out the form. It'll take you two seconds. And we'll see everybody next week with another episode. See you, Internet people. <laughs>